Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Jennifer Joost, who is the Transportation Planning Manager at the City of Guelph, and that means she's responsible for making sure that everyone and everything in Guelph can get to where it's supposed to go, whether that means cars, bikes, buses, or your own two feet. What brings us here today, though, is trains, specifically the rail crossing on Edinburgh Road, which has been the site of some controversy lately. The city of Guelph has initiated the study of seven different street-level rail crossings along the Metrolink line through the city, but there was one that required a lot more study, and that's where the fun began. Explaining Edinburgh is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Back in 2020, just a couple of weeks before you-know-what, the city of Guelph announced that they were closing the intersection at the Metrolinx train tracks near Kent Street along Dublin. The surrounding neighborhood was angry about such a sweeping decision that didn't just impact the local car traffic, but cut off many area kids from the most direct walking path that they could take to get to school at either Central or St. John Bosco. Months before that, though, fences had been going up along the tracks in the West End, cutting off unofficial pedestrian links that were admittedly dangerous, but the fences have effectively made it harder to travel north to south, anywhere west of Alma Street, and all the way to the end of town. Safety is the concern. The increased frequency of two-way GO trains through Guelph and the increased speeds by which they travel required that the city look at the places where the road and the train tracks meet. That's why the city's transportation department started the public engagement on seven key crossings earlier this year, and that's why they want to take a closer look at Edinburgh Road. What is it that they say about the best laid plans? City staff announced that they were going to take that closer look at that section of tracks and look at all the potential options for it, from the do-nothing option to constructing an overpass or an underpass, which would mean properties in the area might have to be expropriated for the job, and that's when the proverbial stuff hit the fan. A virtual town hall and follow-up council meeting aired a lot of grievances, but did it provide any real answers? And were those answers satisfying? We're going to cut through all the noise on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast as Juiced takes us through step-by-step how we got here and where we go next. We will talk about the players in this drama and their role in it, including the City of Guelph, Metrolinx, and Transport Canada. We will also talk about the decision around closing Dublin Street, the changes coming to the Metrolinx line because of the expansion of service, and why the focus has landed on Edinburgh Road. And finally, we will talk about the goals of the upcoming environmental assessment, how it works, what will be decided, and why this is only the beginning of the process, not the end of one. Juice will also talk about the next steps and how you can stay informed. So tuck in. This is going to be a long one. So I caught up with Jennifer Juice last week via Zoom. Okay, so Jennifer Juice, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Adam. Great. Um, I want to start by identifying the players in our little um, underpass drama um, and, and not just identify the players, but talk about like what they control. So, I mean, obviously, so starting with the city of Guelph, obviously people understand the city of Guelph but in terms of like how rail works through the city. What, what does, what does the city of Guelph control? Like what do we have sort of final stamp of approval on? Yeah, that's a good question, and I can understand it's probably confusing for the public at times. The City of Guelph has control over our roads and our road right-of-ways on the approach to the crossings themselves. 
And the rail um, authority, in this case, it's owned by Metrolinx, they have authority over the rail corridor and its right of way and any infrastructure specifically related to the crossings. So gates and um, uh, barriers and lights, flashing lights and all of that, that's all run and operated and designed by the rail, the rail operator. Metrolinx. Yeah. Or Go Transit. People may not understand that Metrolinx is the parent company of Go Transit. So that's right. So anything, and the, the roads is city of Guelph, the train tracks, the gates, the signals, that's all Metrolinx. That's correct. So where does Transport Canada fit into things? So Transport Canada is, uh, regulates rails in the country. So similar to air airports and airline travel and uh, marine travel, uh, rail travel, ra- rail transportation is regulated by the, the, the federal government. So they're the ones that set any regulatory requirements, safety regulations, um, design regulations, design guidelines um, that then Metrolinx must abide by as the rail corridor owner. So Transport Canada writes the rules Metrolinx follows them. That's correct. How does all this work together? Because I mean, <laughs> kind of explaining it out loud makes you kind of understand the absurdity or, or the even, even not maybe absurdity is a bit harsh, but the, the difficulty in coordinating all this. Um, you have three different levels of government, three different agencies, three very specific roles, but you know, cities are this organic thing. And, uh, in the case of Guelph existed at a time before there was trains and roads and, and things. (laughs) Yeah, it does get a little complicated. Um, I would say that we have limited, if any involvement at the federal level, Um, we don't typically get brought into engagement on changes to their regulatory um, documents or acts or anything like that. Whereas perhaps the provincial agencies like Metrolinx, they might have more of that engagement level. Um, So our primary work has been in collaboration with Metrolinx. We've been really trying hard to build a solid relationship with them, improve lines of communication, not just with ourselves as, as agencies, but with our community as well. Um, and trying to unblur some of those lines as best as we can as they um, affect some of the, the, the work that's actually happening here in Guelph. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a bit about that? Because I think there's, and, and a couple of delegates sort of addressed this um, as we're recording the, the council meeting that was this week, that there's a feeling that Metrolinx is the right foot. The city of Guelph is the left foot and the, and the right foot and the left foot don't necessarily know what each other's doing. Um, and, and this has sort of come about with these debates over what, you know, closing Dublin street, uh, putting the traction power station and the trail behind marker green park and things like that. So, I mean, what is the nature of like, how does the relationship work in terms of like, Again, Metrolinx controls the tracks, City of Guelph controls everything else in the city. If there's a change, are they like immediately on the stick saying, hey, City of Guelph, here's what's coming and vice versa? Uh, I think that we're continuously improving on that. I think we've learned some lessons and by we, I mean Metrolinx and the City of Guelph together. And we are constantly trying to improve that coordination and alignment. So, um, 
you know, Metrolinks is a massive organization. And sometimes even within their organization, there might be um, breaks in the line of communication that the, the comms person might not know at the strategic level or the political level what's happening. And I think, you know, that can happen in any organization. So some of that um, not, not knowing the, the right foot, what the left foot is doing, I think comes from there. Um, but ultimately, you know, they have been improving their, their efforts to let us know in advance and communicate with us in advance. So we can also work with our community to prepare them for some of the, the decisions or choices or options that are coming forward, or even just awareness about the study or that there's going to be workers on the tracks and not to get alarmed because this is what they're doing. So I think mm. we're making a lot of progress there. Metrolinks covers basically from one end of Lake Ontario all the way to the city of London now from pretty much the southern end of Lake Huron to the northern end of, of Lake Ontario. I think we in Guelph think we're sometimes the center of the universe, um, but we're probably not the center of Metrolink's universe. That's probably a lot of the lines closer to Toronto. So is this just a matter of maybe Metrolinks is having trouble coping with the, the size and the demands and um, it, it's growing pains? Is that fair to say? Honestly, I can't speak for Metrolinx. Um, you know, I can only speak on behalf of the city. I know that we are a strong voice of advocacy in our community. And um, I don't think that's necessarily all that different from other municipalities that they work with. I think they're pretty um, used to each municipality having its own needs and, and desires to be met. Um, and they have their team for the Kitchener line that, that we work with. So, um, yeah, I think I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I think that they're Fair they're enough. doing their best and we're doing our best. And there's always going to be some people that are left in the dark or confused. Fair enough. So looking towards the the Metrolinks line, Metrolinks owns that line that passes from Georgetown to Kitchener. Um, I have that correct. Um, they I don't know the direct uh, parts that they own. Um, that would be better asked to Metrolink specifically, but they okay. do own the track that goes through Guelph. Right. That part I do know. Okay, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Um, so I guess the perception is that things are kind of getting more dangerous along this stretch of track, which is why we've kind of been seeing all this action on the Metrolink side and the the city side, more trains, more activity. We know that they've approved higher speeds uh, for the trains as they're passing through Guelph. Is, is, is that kind of a fair assessment that this has become more of a safety issue? That's correct. Uh, Metrolinks and the city, we both have a, a top priority of maintaining public safety in our, in our perspective, respective corridors. Um, so Transport Canada upgraded their um, rail crossing safety guidelines, which was the first step that Metrolink started engaging in Guelph. And that was where they identified the need to close Dublin in order to abide by those, those guidelines. Um, and then, you know, as they are working towards their two-way all-day go, which does include higher speeds because they want to try to make it competitive to driving. We all think that's great. Um, more trains so that there's more choices for people. That's still great. But it does mean that there's now an increased um, exposure to cars and and or people interacting with trains so we need to protect for that um, as service levels increase and speeds increase 
So we're working on our side to understand all the potential implications that could mean under all potential scenarios um, for our road network and our active transportation system, while they're doing their own studies on their, the rail network to see like, you know, what, what do they need to do to optimize their service and safety levels? Again, we're, we're seeing that kind of bifurcation of, of efforts. And I mean, from your point of view, would it be easier if this, like maybe all this work was being done on the city level with sort of Metrolinks in an advisory capacity rather than they're doing a study looking at the thing network wide? Because all the impacts are, are kind of on, on local. And I mean, and this is going to be true for Guelph, Kitchener, Halton Hills, Brampton, you know, wherever there's a, a Metrolinks track passing through town and where there's, there's road level crossings. Is it, you know, are, are we kind of duplicating efforts? Is that a concern? No, I wouldn't say that's a concern. I think that the the objectives are very different. Mm -hmm. um, like in our case, because we've been advocating so long for two-way all-day go service, um, we're not opposed to the increased service. We want to support it in a way that's safe for our community. So we just need to better understand, you know, we're not just going to blanket accept any proposal for any like changes to our great our existing at-grade crossings. We want to know um, what those implications could mean for the broader local network and then which of the options available are best from our perspective so that we can adequately engage and, and consult and negotiate with Metrolinks if and when those decisions need to be made. Okay. It's more of a like proactive um, effort to be prepared in advance, even if there's no indication at this time that those changes are coming. We just want to know based on our experience with Metrolinks and with Margaret Green Park. Um, it just flagged to us that we need to do some of our homework in advance too. Right. Um, you know, maybe it sounds like we're trying to make sure Metrolinks doesn't get ahead of us too. To some extent, yes. Um, especially when it comes to cost sharing negotiations, we want to be able to have the data and the analysis right. completed so that we can support our, our needs too. And before we get into the whole Dublin Street thing, I, I just want to point out that, you know, safety is a real concern. And, and Metrolinks released that video, I think it was a few weeks ago now, um, of the, the near miss on, I think it was a, a lot, uh, over the Humber River of, of the kids who were walking along the track and the train was coming. And um, it, it, if, if people saw the video, it looks very, very bad. So safety is not, uh, is a very legitimate concern for, for Metrolinks. But looking to Dublin Street, and I think... This is contributing to maybe some of the friction you're seeing now. There, there was the appearance, I want to be careful and say appearance, that there was no city or public input about closing that street at, at the railroad tracks. Um, could you explain why that sort of, that, that process sort of un unfolded the way it did? I'll do my best. I have to uh, say a disclaimer that I wasn't directly involved. That would have been a colleague of mine. So mm -hmm. um, I'm just going by, you know, internal um, understanding of what was happening. But because it was informed by new federal regulatory requirements, um, Metrolinks had to come through with their own consultant company and do rail safety assessments at each of the crossings to make sure they were in compliance with the new standards, the new guidelines. Um, so they did that at all of the existing rail crossing studies and Dublin did not meet those new requirements on the basis of the sight lines from the crop, from the road um, down okay. either direction along the track um, for the, for the changes in speed that are anticipated. Mm -hmm. 
and also from the grade of the approach to the track. So it couldn't mm -hmm. be maintained at grade because of how steep the road was on either side. Um, and so uh, there was involvement with city staff in terms of um, the report findings, and we got to review the report findings and confirm that we agreed with all the methodology and the, the data that that represented. But because it's a federal regulatory requirement, um, there's, we have no say. That is a Metrolink's decision based on having to meet and support the federal requirements. Okay. Um, and so the, the, the recommendation to close Dublin, we had to go to council as a formality. That's what we have to do in order to pass a bylaw to close a road. And so it was confusing for the public. Like you're going to council for them to decide technically to close a road, but there's no choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there was a lot of frustration in the community. They didn't understand all of the, the technical requirements and the, the process behind that. Um, and, um, and so it felt to them as a surprise and a lack of transparency. And, that, and we, can, we can agree that that was a frustrating experience. Um, and the time frame for that process was quite fast, too. I think we, we didn't mm -hmm. have as much... Um, time to just notify the public of this and have some of that discussion, that information sharing in advance mm. uh, in order to comply with the regulatory requirements. So, I mean, there was no, like, we, we see this sometimes at city council where a recommendation from staff comes down and councillors will come up with a different recommendation. This had to be done. So perhaps that was why this was a matter of setting having this vote in the bylaw as opposed to having it as an item for discussion at council meeting because they're, they're i mean you could have had that rakeout where the community could have come and you know talked about their concerns and complaints but at, at the end of the day it had to be done that's right yeah okay that's fair enough and, and to the other point that i think was addressed at the, the recent council meeting was that you know this was the one street that was sort of cordoned off dublin street whereas you know, there are streets all along there that where the, where the tracks meet, even the next street over, which I believe is Glasgow. Jesus, I've mm -hmm. lived here, for, lived here for 20 years. And I still not 100 sure, but um, no, you're right. That's correct. It's okay. Glasgow. Good. Good. Glasgow and then Yorkshire. And, and I think in people's minds, like how much difference can there be between Dublin Street and Glasgow? Like, why does Dublin get closed and why does Glasgow stay open? And I yeah. think that that's another that, that's another, you know, sort of intellectual pull that that people are trying to vault here. And as we're talking about this. Yeah, again, um, I know it seems like they, they seem like two sides of the same coin and they both have Kent Street on either side of the yeah. corridor. That's really close. Um, so there's a number like I mentioned, there's a number of criteria in the guidelines and the, the regulatory requirements that. Um, are considered with the road, the rail crossing safety um, assessment and proximity to an intersection is one of them within 30 meters. But again, there's not much we can do about that with Kent Street, but right. it was really about the, the, the slope of the approach at, at Dublin, which is much steeper than it is at Glasgow or at Yorkshire and the sight lines down the track in either direction um, due to the proximity of buildings and um, vegetation and that sort of thing. So I think there's been members of the public that have pointed out that the consulting report that Metrolinks used, I think it was done by Hatch, mm -hmm. um, did support um, considering an at-grade crossing for 
pedestrians at Dublin Street. And so our study, when we looked at it again, um, we are we are confirming that we are confirming that we would also like to see an at grade active transportation crossing um, at Dublin. Um, however, because anything that's within the rail corridor right of way, like gates, um, pedestrian barriers, barricades, anything like that is within Metrolinx's realm, right. um, we would have to make that recommendation to Metrolinx and, and collaborate with them on designs and options that that they're comfortable with so it's a little bit out of our hands but we can advocate and um and coordinate with them on that so it's not like a matter of we can have a decision whether that's through council whether that's through staff and we can tear down the fence and create a little place where bikes and pedestrians can can cross the tracks we we can't do that right it's not that simple i wish it were but unfortunately it's not and because yeah and because Metrolinx, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but because Metrolinx is this massive thing, as we've talked about, and, and they have, you know, so many fingers and so many pies right now. Us wanting to have a little cubby for bikes and pedestrians on Dublin Street probably falls to the bottom of a very big pile. Just to, just to making assumptions. Yeah, I don't know if that's a safe assumption to make. Um, I think because of the nature of the relationship building work we've done with Metrolinx, um, uh they really do value and understand the importance of active transportation connectivity in Guelph. In fact, in our another report that they've been working on, on their station access planning, um, Guelph is identified as an active transportation priority, mm-hmm. uh, where, where they see that as being a, a priority for accessing our Guelph Transit Station, and they want to support the municipality in providing better connectivity. Um, so I think that we do have some levers we can we can work with and good relationships that we can build off of. Probably a pretty good place to build off that, given that uh, our GO train station does not come attached to a massive parking lot. Is that fair to yeah. say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a constraint for sure. It's, um, yeah, yeah, I think uh, network wide, they are not looking at providing more parking anywhere. Okay. They're really they're really trying to. Um, to get out of the parking business and into the transit business. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So let's fast forward a bit to this recent uh, discussion and the the city was in the midst of, of doing uh, a sort of a review of a public engagement process about rail crossings generally with, with emphasis on sort of seven specific crossings uh, across the city. Um, How did we get from sort of that general overview to this, kind of, I guess, kind of advanced engagement around Edinburgh specifically? Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, our, fe- our feasibility study and transportation analysis is looking at the existing crossings in Guelph and then the kind of what if scenarios, like what if Metrolinx um, wants to run express service through Guelph and not stop and then there's high, even higher speed trains? Um, what if Transport Canada changes their guidelines again and suddenly... Um, we're looking at increased requirements for grade separation. What would that mean for our transportation system? Um, So we looked at a bunch of different scenarios um, like that, and we ran traffic analysis and looked at the existing crossings. And from our perspective as a municipality, we would like to keep them all at grade. The only one that flagged potential concerns from a safety perspective was Edinburgh. And so it merits further study. And that is 
where the the uh, advanced engagement around Edinburgh um, arose was because uh, the analysis that we did for all crossings uh, looked at property impacts of overpass, underpass, at grade, including Edinburgh. And so people zoomed in on that one because it's recommended for further study and noticed, oh, if we did, you know, this very conceptual dump an overpass template over this area, it would affect all of these homes. Um, but it's important to note that that is a draft document. It's not a detailed design study in any way. We don't actually know what the property impacts were. It was just for comparative purposes to say, okay, an underpass would have this much impact, an overpass would have that much impact. Overpass is definitely out of the question. Mm -hmm. um, underpass could be explored further because it had less impact than the overpass um, and would get at that grade separation option. Just to put a bow on this, looking at all the crossings, um, aside from Edinburgh, the other crossings that the city was looking at are essentially adaptable to some of the, the scenarios you were, you were talking about that they there are, are adaptable in such a way where there would not be massive disruptions to the surrounding area. Um, right. So all of the other crossings could remain at grade um, and work with existing um, or enhanced gates and, and lights and still not present any um, safety considerations from say like the gates are down and cars are queuing and they're they're overflowing into the next intersection that wasn't a problem with any other intersection um, that we were overly concerned with okay watson road was a little bit awkward because it's so close to york but there's mm. really nothing we can do there because even an underpass or overpass option would have to be so large in order to cross york and the rail crossing that it's it's screened out it just it just doesn't make any sense to do that so we would work with um improved signal operations for example to try to mitigate the traffic concerns and we didn't see a, a major safety concern the local streets traffic isn't going to increase all that much over the next 20 to 30 years so we didn't see any issues with them either um, and just recommend that we enhance protection for active transportation users. Um, but Edinburgh Road already has some challenges because of that um, CN rail crossing to the north nice. and all the queuing that happens there and its proximity to um, Waterloo. Um, so that one we just wanted to take a closer look at. Right. And hasn't York Road suffered enough in the last several years? Hasn't um, it? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> So I, I guess the question then is, um, you've made this analysis, um, what, I, I guess, what kind of tools come into play when you're doing an EA that, that helps, I, I guess, advance this analysis further? Why is, why is doing an EA um, the option going forward to do that more in-depth analysis, to do something like formal, like an environmental assessment? Um, so... The EA process is regulated by the Ministry of Environment, Climate Change and Parks. And um, so when you put out a notice of commencement of an environmental assessment, you have to follow certain protocols and guidelines for how you engage and document public engagement and how you define your problem statement and how you develop alternatives to answer that problem statement. So it's a very transparent process um, and that ultimately gives all of the information to public decision makers and stakeholders and community partners, everybody to 
to, to see in full transparency how you arrive at a final decision. So the EA process is um, what municipalities use for most infrastructure projects. Um, for roads, for example, uh, some of them are pre-approved. Like if you're just putting in a bike lane and there's mm -hmm. no real impact, it's pre-approved. But anytime you have a significant cost assigned to it or property impacts, or major environmental impacts, um, then you have to do enhanced engagement and um, it needs to be submitted to the ministry for their blessings at the end. Right. So this would be like the full blown Schedule C environmental assessment. So we would do the full in extent of engagement required under the act. And generally the city of Guelph goes over and above the minimum requirements. Um, we take engagement extremely seriously and it's very important to us. So um, I think what we would like to do is use the information gathered from the feasibility study uh, that we heard through public feedback to help craft the problem statement. Um, so we, for example, we've heard connectivity north-south, sure, but also east-west across Edinburgh is important. Um, also mitigating property impacts is important and maintaining access to the businesses is really important. So our problem statement would probably reflect that. And then we would look at specific options that could answer that. So we would look at at grade, you know, what needs to happen to keep it at grade and make that possible. And we would do the analysis um, and evaluate it as compared to the underpass. And we might have multiple underpass options and multiple at grade options. Um, and, then, and then we would do an evaluation based on uh, things like property impacts, cost, ease of construction, uh, environmental impacts, connectivity, network impact, all of that kind of stuff. And the one that scores out the best would be brought forward to council for a recommendation and they would vote on that. We kind of see this from the end of the process usually where it's staff brings back, we've done this EA, we have options A, B, C, staff recommends B because it's the best and maybe council has different feelings. Uh, but I mean, that's generally how we, we see this process unfold from the end. I have heard about people wanting to contribute to the problem statement. And I, I confess my planning knowledge has not gone this deeply, but I assume this start, I, I always assume like the EA starts with the, a problem we are trying to solve, not, you know, we have a problem, now we need a problem statement. So I'm, can you just explain how that works? Um, yeah, so I mean, as, as technical staff, we, mm. we know to some degree what the problems are, but we right. might not know um, from, a, from a resident uh, or a business experiential perspective, um, the nuances to that. So what we heard on Monday night uh, through the discussion at, at the Horseshoe about this topic was that there's, an, there's a, an interest in having more community engagement on the problem statement so that we can ensure that we're capturing um, beyond just the technical, like keep it safe, but right. also considering the community needs in that problem statement so that we can properly look at the alternatives and evaluate them, um, you know, accurately and come up with a solution that everybody's happy with. Is that usual to do engagement about the problem statement? No, it's not typical. Usually, um, usually your first point of engagement for an environmental assessment uh, is either the recommended option and then all the documentation to show how we got there, or sometimes it can be where we're looking at the different alternatives. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've already, you've already assumed the problem statement and you're showing the different alternatives to 
as answer that. And sometimes we'll get feedback on like, well, I think the problem statement should consider this and this, and we might make revisions, but okay. it's not usually specific to the problem statement. And it's not, we- I take it that's not weird then to make revisions to the problem statement, like as you're going about this, and maybe you discover that, you know, the problem statement is we're trying to solve X, Y, Z, maybe Z isn't a consideration, so we can resolve that and maybe it- a V has-, has come up instead. Yeah, that happens sometimes, but it's a little harder to adjust your alternative solutions after the fact, usually comes with more cost. So it's actually not a bad thing in this case because of how big of a project this could could be. I think it's I think it's very proactive and um, wise to do engagement on the problem statement. And Mm. it's what they call proponent driven. So the proponent is the city. We're the ones that need to do this this study. So we decide. when and how often we want to engage. The, the uh, Environmental Assessment Act doesn't prescribe it, they just make recommendations. So um, it's, it's, not, it's not impossible for other municipalities to do this too. Theor- theoretically, the city of Guelph doesn't have to do public engagement on an EA, but it, it's recommended. Is, is that f- fair to say that? Uh, no, it is required okay. for Schedule B and Schedule okay. C. So those are the the more complex projects. Gotcha. Okay, that's okay. Because I think one of the things that <clears throat> came out, and I, I went to one of the virtual open houses uh, on on that, and there was a definite feeling, at least in the comments, that people were caught up in the middle of something, and maybe that's that's a perception problem. But th- this is we're, we're at the beginning of something here. Right. Definitely at the beginning. (laughs) People have come on at the beginning of the process. They have come on at the very, very beginning. And I think I can appreciate their alarm when they heard through word of mouth. And I think um, part of part of the 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 take back I'm getting from this is um, when we issue public notices, they could be pretty dry. It's like we're doing a public event. It's about this. Come have your say. And so people see these all the time and they're just like, okay, cool. It sounds good. Yeah. We need to study this crossing. They didn't necessarily in their mind, make the jump to my property or my community might be directly impacted. So when they heard through the grapevine about this, this draft figure that we had in one of the memos, um, people got really concerned that they missed something and that this was way further in the process than it actually is. So no, this is as early in the process as we can. It's like the pre environmental assessment. um, And we're being, very transparent about all the potential outcomes so that we can have this discussion um, in a really uh, productive manner. And this, this isn't just like this, this isn't a problem with just this project. I mean, we, we see this or I see this at, at planning meetings all the time. Somebody says like, I just learned about this proposal coming forward, you know, last week. And I mean, sometimes you're, you know, you see the signs, you're bombarded with so much stimulo when you're out and about, but you see these, large white signs with black print. And unless, you know, you're walking your dog and your dog stops to piddle on the bottom of the sign, you maybe, <laughs> maybe you don't even notice it. But I mean, and, and, and part of this too is you're trying to walk a fine line. You don't want to be alarmist. You don't want to put out a flyer that says to somebody, your property might be expropriated if, and because, I mean, that's that's not fair either. So, I mean, I guess how 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 do we resolve this? How do we kind of create an informed population when a, I mean, there's, there's so many pressures for things and, you know, people still miss things, even though there's so many more channels to get at people now, but two, you don't want to be alarmist. You don't want to, 
you want to explain the situation as as calmly and as dryly as possible. I mean, I, I guess this is a real comms conundrum, isn't it? <laughs> it? It's a constant challenge. Yes, I think our communications and our engagement teams are are excellent and um, have come up with some really great innovative ways of of trying to get people's attention. I don't know if you recall when we were doing the transportation master plan back mm -hmm. before COVID hit, mm -hmm. we went out and did like a bus, a temporary bus only lane to like in your face. I wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Say like, <laughs> okay guys, like what about this? Like, what's your reaction? How does this work? And um, you know, not all projects have the budget or the resources to go to that extent. That was a, a major project. Um, but we do try our best. And in this, in our transportation study for the crossings, we really tried our best. We did direct mail to within 300 meters of all of the crossings, not just Edinburgh, but all of them. So that was thousands of addresses. Um, we did the, the rail crossing signs along the roadway right at the crossings. Uh, we had social media. We had public notices, um, you know, short of, uh, I don't know, short of having like, those those inflated wiggly things at the crossings and flashing signs to say hey come talk to us i'm not really sure how much more we can really do because people are busy and right. there's so much going on and we can't we can't necessarily engage on everything but i think one thing that did happen which is unfortunate is that the direct mailing list for some reason um well i mean we have alternate addresses for property owners versus right. the property address itself so some of those prop prop uh, public notices went to the actual owner, like sometimes outside of Guelph and may right. not have made it to the, the occupants of the building itself. So right. that was um, why we heard some rumblings of not getting the notices, which is quite unfortunate. But uh, right. again, um, you know, we're, we're working on ways to improve as best as we can. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's, I think we live in times where people want to so easily reach to, conspiracy or some sort of willful i guess ignorance or just something like the system it the system can sometimes break down and one of the things i will point out when in reaction to that is you know on i get so little in terms of like real mail like not junk mail anymore but i mean i i don't get you know, letters in the mail or, or a lot of yeah. things. So, you know, my, if, if, if it's a, if it's a junk mail day, sometimes the postman won't even come because he's, he knows what we do with junk mail. So, I mean, that's, that's a very, that's a very real thing going on too. Um, yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think you might be onto something that there is an overall society-wide lack of trust in public authority right. um, or public institutions. Um, that's not, I'm not saying specific to the city of Guelph, but I'm saying like generally, like all levels of government, all, all institutional agencies, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it is just, you know, uh, a sign of the times perhaps. And, and we've gone through quite a lot in the last two <laughs> years. Um, and I think to some degree, uh, social media has its advantages, but it's also absolutely overwhelming us sure. with information you're scrolling through your brain can only hold what like 10 percent of what you see in a day so you hope to god that the important <laughs> stuff is amongst that 10 percent. but maybe it's the funny cat meme that you saw that day and like right you know i don't know and and the and the city that. of guelph tweet about the public engagement process is right under the funny cat meme and 
<laughs> maybe it's... maybe we need funny cat memes in all of our social media posts. <laughs> it it could it could be. Um, so looking at the options, you said overpasses out that that's not a possibility it i take it that's kind of like a logistical thing that it, it just right. in terms of like all the options this would be the most expensive the most disruptive and it just it would not go down well that's right it would be like having a gardener expressway over like a giant chunk of Edinburgh right. road because of the grade differences and everything it just right. doesn't make any sense right and of course that's like I'm trying to picture it in my mind, but the, the Metrolinx line is kind of like right in the middle. There's there's a hill and then there's a flat sort of mezzanine portion and then there's another hill. So that's yeah, that would, that would be a really weird place for an overpass. Then what are the other options? I mean, underpass, obviously, but, you know, in terms of like, what are the other possibilities? Like, I'm, I kind of want to like get people sort of visioning in their head what this could look like otherwise. Yeah, uh, so... There's the environmental assessment process always includes the do nothing option. So absolutely do nothing. So exactly the way it is. Um, so that would be one of the options that we study further um, again. But in terms of keeping it at grade, um, there could be things that we haven't looked at right now. Like, um, could we improve the signal operations um, at Paisley and at Waterloo so that we can hold back traffic if we know the train is coming through so that you don't get traffic stuck in between and right. queuing over over one or the other train track um, or, or queuing into the other intersection. So we would have to look at those options and, and talk with Metrolinx about the operationality of that. Like, can we even do that? Do we have technology to tie our signal system into their, their train signal system? Um, then in terms of the underpass options, we would look at different designs and footprints like footprints of it. And um, if you shift it this way a couple meters, and if you shift it that way a couple meters, and if we have, you know, crossings over top for the road, the, the local roads, can we keep them connected somehow? Do we need laneways? To, like, what does it all mean in, in order to maintain access and um, minimize property impact? So that would be much more of a detailed engineering kind of exercise. Mm -hmm. And to, to go back to the tech, though, I mean, it's, it's possible that through these explorations, you could find that like doing that signal coordination you're talking about, it could be a matter of the tech isn't there today, but by the time this is sort of ready to go with two-way all-day go or whatever plans they have in the future, because we're talking about like five, 10 years out, uh, technology moves pretty fast. So if there's, if somebody's working on this and they're like this close or even like this close, um, I mean, that's a consideration too, because by the time this is sort of ready for for whatever changes need to be made, the technology might catch up. Yeah, so I would hope that we could, um, like through our procurement process, find um, a good mm -hmm. consultant that has experience maybe um, outside of Canada or outside mm -hmm. of Ontario that has worked with different signal systems and knows that technology and can comment on that. Um, it's definitely outside of our expertise, um, but that that is a consideration. Um, and we've heard from a number of residents too that there's there's appetite to to look at you know what they're doing abroad. Europe has lots of high speed trains and they don't have overpasses at all of their crossings. So right. um, can we can we borrow and steal from from that? What would that look like and what would that involve? So um, those are all things that we want to explore in much more detail, specifically for Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Mm. Depending on your pronunciation. Pronunciation, that's right. <laughs> Is it Edinburgh or Edinburgh? It's the constant question. 
I think it's a regional thing. Um, <laughs> people have brought up the Paisley uh, Rail Crossing too, which is, I want to say it's GJR jurisdiction. Paisley is, my understanding is that that is CN. Only. Okay, is that CN? Okay. Yeah. Um, is, is, is that like a consideration in this CAA that, you know, maybe we have to look at doing an underpass for Paisley Street and maybe... The, the the situation there is is kind of more dire traffic wise speaking than than Edinburgh, um, or is this purely an Edinburgh situation? Um, well, we haven't we haven't set the scope yet at this stage. Okay. Um, we know that there's a lot of uh, issues with the CN crossing right now. Um, we also know that improvements are coming because the city committed $1.3 million in cost sharing. So that's not the total cost. Right. That's just our portion of it towards um, CN upgrading and optimizing those um, accurate crossing signals. So right. I think, I think it would merit us understanding how that will improve the traffic and, and to what degree does that resolve the issue? And then if there's still kind of a gap, then um, figuring out what we need to do. Um, but ultimately when we, when we set the um, terms of reference for the environmental assessment, we'll be considering whether that's included in the scope or still part of a separate study. Right. And when I'm uh, skimming that I live in the West End, when I hear underpass, I think about Silver Creek Parkway. Um, I guess it's a lot of that depends on when they start developing the, the old Lafarge area, but you know, is, are are we looking at like an underpass, uh, uh, crunch uh in the near future that you know we're we got all these these train tracks and all these connectivity issues um coming down the pipe um so what do you mean by crunch you mean just having just, like a lot yeah, of- yeah like having a lot of these kind of pr- projects where we're having to worry about trains and and road connectivity and right well so the silver creek um crossing is part of the development application. So they're doing a plan of subdivision right. and it does assume an underpass as part of that design and that will be cost shared with the city. Um, and so it just is dependent on the phasing and schedule and the timing of that developer proceeding through their application process and and then the construction. Um, so at this time we have no idea of the exact timing of when that work will be completed or even started. Um, so that would have to kind of play in as well with the timing on Edinburgh to some degree. Um, however, I think, I mean, in a perfect world, we could do Silver Creek first and then, and then we do Edinburgh and then we have great alternative by detour route for Edinburgh and we're not jamming up Norfolk. Right. Um, but that might not be the reality. And so we might have longer detours for the period that Edinburgh is under construction if that's the route we go. And maybe right. it won't be. Hopefully right. we can we can find an, an option with the at grade crossing. I only bring it up because I, I hear about Dublin Street at at council when when these sorts of issues come up. And th- this is kind of my Andy Rooney moment for, for you, Jennifer. But the the you know the fence the fences went up from Elma street all the way to the edge of town. And, and I know that's, I know these things were like, never, you weren't supposed to technically cross at like silver Creek, but people did people, you know, going walking around or people on their bikes, but in appreciating that a lot of this is, you know, Metrolinks making decisions. Um, you know, there, there have been, there, 
there have been large scale disruptions with um, Metrolinks putting up all these fences along along their tracks. And again, I understand it's for safety and thinking about that video with the kids. But um, this is a this is, a, I think, an issue for people that's sort of bigger than than Dublin Street or Edinburgh Street. That uh, again, this is my Andy, Andy Rooney moment. I don't ex- <laughs> I'm not that wasn't a real question, but it's just there, there have been real impacts from this. Yeah, no, and I, but I do think that's a, an important observation uh, to comment on because yeah. um, you're right. I mean, people have maybe taken for granted the lack of physical safety protective right. barriers across that corridor and not really realized that this is a barrier in our community that we right. need to have properly designed crossings. Right. Um, so the transportation master plan uh, looked at that too. So, you know, transportation master plan is a 30,000 foot view and then... <laughs> The feasibility study is like the the little local airplane view, <laughs> and then and then the EA will be like the drone view, and then we're gonna yeah. get into like on the ground view. Um, so yeah, so with the TMP we identified um, the need for pedestrian and active transportation and vehicular crossings um, across that corridor and need for further further studies um, because connectivity is one of our priorities too in the community. We want to make sure that you can move around by all modes of transportation easily and effectively, particularly active transportation because it's sustainable, it's healthy and um, takes pressure off of our, our road network um, as we grow. Uh, so um, I think, you know, we acknowledge that and we're, this is one of the, the early steps towards addressing it. Okay. Uh, maybe to wrap up then, um, this has sort of been an exhausting examination of the situation, but for people who uh, are listening and, and maybe still have concern, I mean, I mean what's your message to, to the residents of the area around this, in, in the study area and, you know, people generally living around railroad tracks and are you know maybe worried about one day reading in Guelph today that a fence is going up you know it's you know I, I can understand that concern but I'm we've sort of lived through that concern already so I mean for for people listening what's your kind of message about how we proceed from here so I would say that the city of Guelph is always listening and um, we're always happy to hear and discuss your concerns about um, these matters with us directly. Um, you, either my team, transportation planning or our transportation engineering teams, uh, we're both very involved with the Metrolink's work and the plans in, in the works. Um, and alternatively, um, you know, there, we do have contact information at guelph.ca slash metrolinks to to reach out directly to metrolinks team that works on the kitchener corridor um so so we do encourage that as well and uh we just wanted to let residents know that um we do gather this information and share it with metrolinks on a regular basis and it does inform our um policy direction and the work that we're doing and the studies that we're carrying out so that we can do what's best for our community and as we're recording this, the, the, the have your say, I, I believe it closed on Wednesday. Um, so so if, if people want to stay in touch, they want to stay in the loop, how, how best can they do that? Um, so the have your say did close for um, posting new questions. So we're still working through responding to those and we'll post the responses as they become available. Um, that page will stay up because, as I mentioned, the study still draft. So we will post an update when we've finalized um, the, the final report and um, that will be posted both on our Have Your Say page and the actual study website, which is guelph.ca slash railcrossingstudy. 
Um, and that will inform, you know, what our next steps are, which it'll probably say city staff recommend proceeding with a, a, a Schedule C environmental assessment. That would then start a new process. So then you'll see, okay. you know, a notice of commencement when we get that kicked off and the first public meeting to, to start the engagement process there. But most importantly, long story short, we're, we're at the very beginning and it's not too late to have your say, not to have your say in terms of the official city branding, have your say, but also have your say in a general sort of sense. So that's right. Uh, so yeah, it's no decision, no final decisions have been made. So uh, I think that I hope that message comes through loud and clear if people have made it to, to, <laughs> to this point, And I hope they have. But Jennifer Juice, I want to thank you so much for for dedicating your time uh, to, to go through this thorough examination of the situation. Uh, I hope people appreciate it as much as I do. Thank you so much, Adam, for having me. I'm really glad to have the opportunity. Thanks. And once again, that was Jennifer Juiced. You can stay up to date about the environmental assessment on the train tracks in the area of Edinburgh Road by visiting the Have Your Say site at guelph.ca. That's haveyoursay.guelph.ca. It's too late to provide comments, but you can still subscribe to receive updates about the project. If you want to stay in touch with Metrolinks on their side of things, they do put out a monthly newsletter about the latest developments in Guelph and area, and you can subscribe to that at metrolinks.com slash subscribe. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph, and to learn more about CFRU, go to cfru.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com if you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico. You can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we'll see you next time. <laughs>